0: You're listening to a sermon from Harvest Bible Chapel, Niagara. We believe in unapologetic preaching, unashamed adoration of Jesus, unceasing prayer, and unafraid witness. Thank you for listening. So good. That is the power of the gospel and the hope of the resurrection right there. And God is still changing lives today. Amen visiting with us. uh, Welcome to our services. Uh, Glad you've chosen to join us for Easter Sunday. You've probably picked up on by now that we're pretty fired up about Jesus and about worshiping him. And uh, we just really believe all the things we've been saying, we really believe it here. And uh, we really believe that uh, everything you saw in the video, that God is still changing lives. And we really believe that Easter is about Jesus, is about Jesus buying our acceptance on the cross that we might enjoy God's presence forever. And so if there's anything worth celebrating, we think this is it. You know, of all the things we celebrate, this is it. And let's be honest, we celebrate a lot of things in our culture, don't we? We're a culture of celebrators. Uh, I think of birthdays, and we go all out for birthdays, even for like Canada Day, Canada's birthday. Like as a country, we go, for, we go out for Canada's birthday and Queen Victoria's birthday. We don't even care about the queen anymore. We celebrate her birthday. We get all jacked up about all kinds of uh, parties for uh, gra- graduation at every level of education. Uh, we make a big deal about Family Day and Mother's Day and Father's Day and Grandparents Day and uh, Super Bowl parties and Stanley Cup bashes. All these things put together, they mean nothing. They mean nothing compared to, compared to the celebration we're celebrating today, Easter Sunday, the celebration of Jesus Christ being alive. This is the greatest celebration in all of history. It's the day that God redeemed our efforts to kill Jesus on the cross, and he redeemed them by raising his son to life, that we might have salvation. And so we have reason to celebrate today, and so we hold nothing back on these days. And uh, we're excited to share with you what Easter is all about here in in just a few minutes. This is the most glorious day that has ever happened, with massive implications for every one of our lives today. Not just something that happened in the past, something that's still going on today. And so I'm just going to spend some time praying here. We're going to be in Matthew chapter 28 this morning. Now we have ushers coming down the aisles to give you a Bible. If you don't have one, we'd love to give you one. This is our Easter gift to you. Please take it home and read it. And uh, Matthew 28 is where we're going to be today. Just one verse, and we're going to skip over to Ephesians, uh, doing something different today. We're going to use two passages. But uh, I'm going to pray as we start, because we really believe at our church also that that, uh, we can't change your heart. We can't change your own hearts. Only God can do that. And so I'm going to pray that the Holy, by the power of the Holy Spirit, we'd be here to see and hear and understand a little bit clearer the full reality of the resurrection. So let me pray, and then we're just going to dive in and unpack scriptures in a way that I pray is going to impact us for the rest of today and the rest of this week and the rest of this year for God's glory. Father, we thank you this morning for the awesome privilege we have of worshiping you of seeing you alive and risen and lifted up. God, our prayer for this morning is really simple. Oh God, would you help every eye here say, see you in, a, in, in the greatness of your glory? Would you help every heart here, God, and every mind understand the truth of the Scripture in a real way? God, for those that are coming here that are maybe coming because a friend invited them or maybe a parents dragged them, God, I pray you'd help them see the glory of Jesus today. For those, God, that are coming here that come because it's Easter and they only come once or twice a year and it's because they're supposed to, God, I pray that you'd help them know the full significance of the cross and the empty tomb in their lives in a way that fires up their souls that could never go back. God, I pray for those that are here today that believe and and are here with with anticipation of hearing from you and worshiping you. God, I pray that you just uh, cause their level of passion for you just to go up a couple notches as we hear the reality of what the empty tomb means for us. Ultimately, God, we pray that you'd transform our hearts, protect us from just coming in and doing a church service and putting a check mark on a page saying we did a religious deed for this year. Instead, oh God, we want to encounter Jesus. We want to hear from you. We want you to change our lives. Only you can do that. And so, Lord, we ask you this in total dependence and total expectancy as we open up your word in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So Easter Sunday, so here's the scene from that first Easter Sunday. We see it in uh, Matthew chapter 28, just a few days earlier, remember? Jesus was hung out to die on a cross, a cruel death of an innocent man for the guilt of the world. Uh, This rocked the whole world, literally, like the, the whole earth went black with the significance of what was going on, but even more than the whole world, this really rattled the followers of Jesus Christ. This is the, the guy they're putting their hope in, and they thought he was, they believed he was the Savior, and so to watch him die was, was just devastating for them. Uh, talk about painful, if you ever watch someone you love die, painful. Disillusionment was setting in, but, but I thought, but I thought. Hope had checked out on Good Friday, and despair was settling in. So Sunday morning, a couple of the ladies that had been with Jesus for a long time, they were, uh, went out to care for his body with spices and ointments, and they got there. They got there only to find the tomb absolutely empty. Can you, imagine? Can you imagine their hearts in this this time? Have you ever watched one of your loved ones take their last breath, and you plan to go to the funeral home to bury them and pay your last respects? Can you imagine going to the funeral home and finding the, the casket empty? What a shocker so these two women, they're there, and they're there. I'm sure their minds were spinning with like, oh, what kind of cruel joke is this? Oh, what have they done with my Savior's body now? Where are they desecrating his body? Like, what's going on? And, but before they could get too far, to, their minds get too far down the rabbit trails of like, what if, what if, an angel shows up and proclaims these words. To them. these are the most profound words, some say, in all of literature. It's the most powerful words in the scriptures that have revolutionized every life that has accepted them as true. Listen to these words. We're going to spend a lot of time here this morning. Half the sermon is going to be based on these few verses. Matthew 28, verse 5, look what it says. This is this is the first Easter. The angel speaking to the women. Do not be afraid, for I know that you seek Jesus who is crucified. But get this, he is not here, for he has risen. Just as he said, come and see the place where he lay. No, like wow, hey, significant, isn't it? Translates to this three words: Jesus is alive. Hey, I know you're looking for Jesus. He's actually not here in the grave. We expect him. He's alive today, and get this, he's alive forevermore. Do not be afraid, for I know that you seek Jesus who is crucified. He is not here, for he has risen. As he said, come see the place where he lay. These words set the tone for all every Easter Sunday from this point of the first one to follow. This is what we celebrate every Easter Sunday. It's very simple. It's very simple. You're not going to hear anything you haven't heard before if you've been to church on Easter Sunday before. It's simply this. Jesus is alive. We left you a, a little comment card where you can write notes in your bulletins. And I, I encourage you to write notes, but if you don't... Uh, Get these words. Write these words down and get these words. This is, this is, if you miss everything from this sermon, get these ones. You're going to hear a lot today. I get excited, especially on Easter. I speak quick when I'm excited. But write these ones down. If you don't write on your paper, write them on your heart. Because this is the most important message you'll ever, ever, ever hear in your lifetime. Not just on Easter, but in a lifetime. It's these words. Jesus is not dead. He is eternally alive. Jesus is not dead. He is eternally alive. And this is why we celebrate and pull out all the stops to celebrate Jesus. This is the reality the whole Bible points to a risen Savior providing hope for every man, woman, and child that would ever live. This truth is the foundation of our Christian faith, the main rallying cry for the church in the New Testament, and the most important reality in the believer's life. The the whole New Testament is based on this Jesus is alive. Think about this in the Gospels, in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, the the account of Jesus' life. The main pinnacle of the Gospels is not all the little miracles he was doing. Those were fantastic, and, and those are pretty cool. But the pinnacle of the Gospels, recorded in every single one of them, is this. Jesus rose from the grave. His greatest miracle, he rose again. Consider the book of Acts. Transition book from the Gospels to the rest of the New Testament. The apostles were, the, were ones who had been there and they saw firsthand Jesus being alive. So it's not like they heard, heard, heard the telephone game. They heard from somebody, heard from somebody, heard from somebody. They, they were there and they saw this. And this was the message they proclaimed to start the engine of the church and drive it forward. The church is built on this truth. Jesus is alive. The epistles from Romans to Jude are all built on the resurrection Take away the resurrection. You have a faith without a foundation like building your house upon a sand. It's not going to last very long. The book of Revelation shows us a risen Christ reigning in glory. One who is going to come back and judge the world and then reign forevermore. The whole testament screams of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Take away the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the Bible, from the church, from the believer, and you basically have uh, an Easter dinner without any food and any guests. You just don't have one. And only oh, does the Bible speaks to this, you're like, well, the Bible says that, great. The Bible says a lot of things, but how do we know? History verifies this over and over and over. One of the greatest ways history verifies that Jesus is alive is through the millions of people that have been changed by this one Verse. A self-help book can't change somebody's life. Ultimately, we know that. But a living word who points us to a living Lord can. And millions of people, from aristocrats to paupers, to, from the beautiful to the homely, from somebodies to nobodies, from people of all time periods, and from all different parts of the globe, this one message is the life changer of every single life that's ever lived. In fact, so much so that 1 Corinthians 15 verses 14 to 19 say this in my own, my own translation, the translation of Daryl today. If this isn't true, I may as well shut up. You may as well go home because all we're doing right here is misrepresenting God. We're still dead in our sin. We have no hope of life after death. We are to be pitied among all people because we're the fools of all fools if this isn't true. But guess what? It is true. It's absolutely a hundred percent true. Before we get too far into it, I just want to give a little caveat here because I know on Easter we have a lot of people that come and, and just hearing this for the first time. I love how this passage starts. What's the first words out of the angel's mouth to the women? It's not hey, he's alive! She precursors it with what? He, he precursors it with what to them? He says this. Do not be afraid. Do not be afraid. I just want to precursor this to you, those who are visiting with us today. One of the greatest. Things that keeps people away from believing this truth is fear. It's fear. Well, I don't know if I can trust that. And what if I believe that Jesus is true and, and give him my whole heart? Is he going to mess me up? Is he going to take me places I don't want to go and to people I don't want to see? And is he going to limit my joy and steal my... Is that not true? I just want to tell you this. Like, you don't have to be afraid of this truth. Jesus didn't come to mess up your life. He came to give you life and life and life abundantly. Along with fear, he says, don't fear. But I think right closely tied with fear is pride. If it's not fear that keeps people away from this message, it's pride. It's this, this, this thought that like, my life's great. Why do I need God? I don't need God. I'm doing just great on my own. I, I prefer to be king or queen of my life. I don't want someone telling me what to do and how to do it. I don't want someone telling me if I'm wrong or if I'm right. If you're here today and you're Just checking this out, and you're falling into one of those two categories. Just let me encourage you with this. You can fight this for a whole lifetime, the worst fight you'll ever fight. Because to fight this means you're going to miss Jesus, not just in this life, but for all of eternity. So can we just sit here from the top? Let's put our fears and our pride aside, and let's just open our hearts to the truth. And so if you're here and you don't believe this, can I just ask you to do something right now real quick? Just say a quick prayer. God, if this is true, I need to know today. I need to know today. Fear and pride have been two things that have kept people from the truth of God's word ever since this, first, this verse was first uttered. Fear and pride are ultimately what creates atheists out there. Fear and pride are what causes men like Robert Price to uh, write books called Jesus is Dead, trying to convince us that not only is Jesus dead, but he never lived in the first place. Fear and pride are what causes guys like Richard Dawkins to start the foundation for science and reasons, trying to spend his life refuting the claims of Jesus. Fear and, and pride are what causes magazines like Time Magazine and some of these other popular ones to write more articles about why Jesus is not alive than why Jesus is alive. Fear and lies are what start myths. Christ is not the myth. Anything around Christ that refutes who he is and what he did, that's the myth. I want to tell you this. God is bigger than all of your fears and all of your pride. What I want to tell you is, is true: the one thing that will alter your course of your life forever in a good way. God is for real. Jesus is alive and his intentions and his plans and his purpose for your life are all good. So don't be like the thousands around us that are trying to... See what it says here? It says, he's not here. He's not here. He has risen. So many people try and keep Jesus in the grave. So many people foolishly try to keep Jesus in the grave. They, they prefer for him to be past tense, prefer for him to be wrapped up in grave clothes and, and stone over. Why? So that they can just do their own thing and live their own life. Biggest mistake anyone's ever made is to try and keep Jesus in the grave. When the truth is Jesus is raised to a brand new life. Here's the truth. Jesus is raised to a brand new life. This is, a, this is a real God we're talking about who is very much alive today. As much as I am breathing and speaking, as much as you're sitting in your seat, Jesus is alive today. When it says that Jesus is, a, is risen, this is like a once in a lifetime, never to be duplicated ever again kind of thing. When it says he has risen, it means that he was completely dead and God breathed life into him, made him alive. Not he has risen in like we try and wake up our kids on a on a week, a school day morning, you know, like they're, they're kind of like they're, they're living dead, right? And you can't get them going. I'm like, are they dead or alive? And slowly they get going, but that's, that's not the type of risen. Like, kind do of wake up, rise up for school. It's not the type of risen we're talking about. It's not even the type of risen where somebody suffers a, a heart attack or something and, and they stop breathing for a minute and the CPR comes in and pumps a little bit of... And, breathes a little bit of air, and I, whew, that was close. That was a close one. They're breathing again. That, that's revived, but that's not risen. This type of risen is simply this. Jesus, when he was on the cross, was completely dead. His heart was stopped. There was no more brain activity. His body was not functioning with life, and God raised him from the grave. Prove it. Luke, the doctor and Luke, proved it for us. When they shoved a spear in his side, there was water and blood coming out. That's the end of life. Make no mistake, he was dead heard many people say, well, he probably wasn't dead. I've heard many stories on TV about people who are dead and rise again, and and maybe you're like me. You, watched, you watch the news all the time, and I just read a story this last week about a woman in Russia, 61 years old, and she was pronounced dead at the hospital. She was in the morgue for three days. I'll try to pronounce her name for you. It. It's Ludmila Steblitskaya. Let's go with that. Just so you know I'm not lying. If you try and Google that, you'll never get it, so... And so her family, after three days, went to the morgue, and she's in this morgue for three days, and they went to like make all the arrangements, bring her out to the autopsy, and lo and behold, she started breathing again. Stop the shovels. Like Put the shovels away. She's breathing. This is the second time it happened. She's got quite the nine lives, eh? Hey? But that, that's not what it's talking about here. That, that's being revived, but that's not being raised to new life. She was revived to live the same life she lived. She's going to have the same aches and pains. Her body was still decaying. She was still going to... You know, one day die. Totally different than what's talking about here. When Jesus was raised from that, he was raised to a brand new body, human body gone, spiritual body here. He was raised to a body that was never going to decay, it was never going to hurt anymore. It was his permanent body forever, living in eternity. Completely different things. Just want to clarify that for you so don't misunderstand this text. This means that Jesus was raised to a new kind of life. Spiritual body, weakness and limitation gone, able to live eternity, death no longer part of the equation. When Jesus rose from the grave that first Easter, he he assures us that one day, he's the first fruit of the living, right? One day we will also pass from this life to the next, but we will have eternal bodies that will live forever. That's the hope that we have as believers, that this isn't all there is to it. If we follow Jesus, we're going to have eternity with Jesus, with the, the same kind of, of spiritual bodies that are made brand new. I can't wait for that day, can you? Play hockey once in a while, I can feel it for like three days later. Can't wait, but that's not even the greatest part of Jesus' resurrection. That's pretty cool, but, but we all have to see the resurrections for the day we die, but this is what also was Jesus was raised to. He was raised to give us a new life here in our souls. When this woman from Russia Came out of her little coma. She's the same old person. Nothing's changed. When Jesus rose again, he gave us the opportunity for a regenerated heart, a new life that beats after the things of God. Because he was made brand new, he says that he'll give us a new heart on the inside. Take our heart of stone stone and give us a heart of flesh. It's called being regenerated as a believer for those who put their faith in Jesus Christ hope you're seeing. this is not like a normal everyday occurrence here. Only one person could do this. It's Jesus Christ. Only one person has ever done it. It's Jesus Christ. Only one person will ever do it. Who is it? You're following well. Look at this. He's not here. He is risen. Let's help you understand the text. As he said. Get that? As he said. You ever want proof that Jesus is the divine son of God? Who do you know that can claim that one day I'm going to die, spend three days in the grave, and then rise again and actually pull it off? I can't even predict where my wrist shot is going to go in the corner of a hockey net. Jesus, over and over, this is a self-fulfilling prophecy, over and over, he told us. Matthew chapter 12, verse 40. Matthew chapter 17, 22. Mark 8, 31. Luke 9, 22. Write these down and look them up so you don't just take my word for it. Jesus told us over and over, hey, when it all comes down, I'm going to die for the sins of the world. and am going to sacrifice myself. But don't fret, don't fear. I'm going to be in the grave for three days. I'm going to rise again. I'm like the second Jonah, he says. Remember Jonah from the Old Testament? That guy spent three days in the belly of a whale. You thought that was cool. Wait till you see this. That was just a foreshadow what I am going to do for everybody to save the world. Shows us too that every word is recorded in the Bible is true. Even the hard ones that are, the hard ones hard to believe. I could go and give you all the different apologetics, which is just a way to defend how this is true and how this is right. If you want to do that, go and Google all this after. You'll find so much compelling evidence to prove this is true. I just wanted to tell you this, simply this morning this, and trust that the Holy Spirit applies to your heart. Jesus is alive. And you need to know that. And you need to believe that. You need to embrace that in your life. You miss out on Jesus. You miss out on life from start to finish and then life forever. The Bible tells us there's two options at the end of this life. It's heaven if you know Jesus, live in Jesus. Also, the other side is hell. If you choose to reject Jesus and you reject this truth, that's the two options we have. Praying that you'll see this, that God will help you have faith to believe that this is true, that you might join the side of the heaven side instead of the hell side today. This is a game changer. I don't know how to say it in a great way. This is, this is, the, this is the, the eternal game changer for every heart so many applications to this. It's every Easter's the battle. It's like, where do you go? Where do you go to apply this to the heart? I want you to know this isn't just a theological truth we're talking about today. This, is, this applies to your very life today. Chosen one avenue to go with. It's going to be in Ephesians chapter 2. And, and here's the second truth. There's only two truths today I want you to write down. Here's the second one. Who cares? How does it all play out in me, in my life? Well, what's this mean for me? Here's what it means for you and I. Jesus' resurrection assures my acceptance with God. Jesus' resurrection assures my acceptance with God. Here's the way Easter goes down in, in simple terms. A Good Friday was the day Jesus paid for our sins, your sins and my sins on the cross. Easter Sunday is the day that God cashed the check. In other words, he accepted all that Jesus did, and now because he accepted all, accepts all that Jesus did on my behalf, he is also willing to accept me and anyone who puts their faith in Jesus Christ. The ultimate truth of the empty tomb is this. God saw all that Jesus did, all that he endured on the cross, and, and, he, and he put a little stamp of approval on it saying, Jesus, what you did was good. It was satisfactory. There's no point in staying dead any longer. Let's raise you back to life. It's complete. It's finished. It's done. And now, anyone who turns to Jesus can be accepted by God on the basis of what Jesus has done. It says this very thing in Romans chapter 4, verse 25. Get this, he was put to death for our trespasses, cross, and he was raised for our justification. He was raised so that we could be justified before God. What's it mean to be justified? Well, if God is holy, only perfection can be in his his presence. What does it mean to be justified? It's, It's to be looked at by God just as if we've never sinned. God only accepts us if it's if we've never sinned in heaven. Who can stand in heaven? None of us. Jesus paid the penalty. God looks at now our lives hidden in Jesus and says, Well, if you've taken on his life, then I look at you like just like you've never sinned. And so this means that because Jesus is alive, I can have acceptance with God. That is impossible. Without Jesus Christ. Now you know why we're singing so loudly on a Easter Sunday morning? This is good news. This is the greatest news you'll ever hear. Apart from Jesus, we're hopeless before God. We're we're, we're buried in our sin. We'd never have the, the chance of heaven. We'll never have the chance of eternity with God. We like to talk about it at everybody's funeral, but we don't have it without Jesus. But because of the resurrection and God saying it's done, I accept it. Here's the good news that God will accept... Anyone who comes to Jesus by faith. Oh, but pastor, you don't understand the things I've done. You don't understand how long I've been gone. You don't understand how much of a screw up I am. There's no chance for me. There is in Jesus Christ. Here's the good news of the gospel. Because of Jesus, when we stand before God, if we put our faith and our hope in Jesus, there's no questions asked, no holding grudges, no entrance exam, or no physical. God says, if you have Jesus, you're in. It's part of the newness of life that we can live in with the power of the empty tomb. We once were far, but God brings us near through Jesus Christ. Here's how Sinclair Ferguson talks about the reality of all that the empty tomb means for our acceptance with God. He says this, we're adopted into God's family through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead in which he paid all of our obligations to sin, the law, and the devil. In whose family we once lived, we once belonged to the devil. But now we belong to God. Our old status lies in the tomb, but our new uh, new status is ours. How, how through the resurrection in the in the cross, Jesus covered our sin in the resurrection he conquers it. This is such good hope for every person that 's ever felt doomed it 's freedom for those who feel trapped in sin it 's real love for the lonely it 's promise for the abandoned it 's acceptance for those rejected, is fearlessness in the face of death. This is the great hope that David was talking about when when he quoted for us 1 Peter 1, 3. Through the resurrection, I am born again to a living hope in Jesus Christ. What's our living hope? Our living hope is that Jesus has made it so that I can be accepted by my heavenly Father. What's our living hope is, is, is this, that I have a father in heaven who desires to walk with me through life and give me life after death and eternity with him. This is our hope as believers. And this is what every single soul in this place longs for, whether you realize it or not. Every soul is created in such a way that there's eternity on our hearts. In other words, what we long for is is a relationship with God and to spend eternity with him forever. We just long for a connection with God that he made for us through the death and resurrection of Jesus. So studying this week and considering the full reality of what the empty tomb is and God bringing us close and accepting us, in Jesus. I thought of a story I read a number of years ago from a little Spanish village in Spain. And it's a story about a father and a son who had become estranged and the son ran away from home like sons sometimes do and, and in and anger towards his dad and the dad went out searching for him and searching for him and searching for him and, and couldn't find him and exasperated one day he just said the last hope chance I have is to like put an ad in the paper. So he put a little ad in the paper that went something like this that said... Dear Paco, it's your dad. I miss you, son. I love you wherever you are, whatever you've done, it doesn't matter. Just come home. All is forgiven. Meet you tomorrow at noon outside this newspaper. The next day, as the dad went to the newspaper, 800 Pacos showed up looking for their father. I'm sure the pastor made that story up. It's not true, but it serves a good point for what we're talking about here. It's the longing of every heart, it's the desire of every heart to be reconciled with God. How is that accomplished? Not just through the covering of sins, but through the new life that He gives us in the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Turn with me to Ephesians chapter 2 for a few minutes. We're going to spend the last little bit here in Ephesians chapter 2. Giving you three things in this text. We usually only stick in one text. Today we're doing something different. It's a special day. special way we're going to study the Word of God today. It's okay. Three ways that... Jesus assures my acceptance with God through the empty tomb. I don't want you to miss these, they're so important. You miss these, you are going to miss out on the full reality of Easter. Let me read it for you starting at verse 11, starting at verse 12. The subtitle here is One in Christ. It's what happened at Easter that we became one in Christ with with all the family of God and and have access to God the Father. Look at verse 12. says, remember that you were at that time separated from Christ. Before before Jesus came, Gentiles, let's talk about Jews and Gentiles. We'd all be Gentiles. So before, before Easter came, all the Gentiles would be separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers to the covenants of the promise, having no hope and without God in the world. And he came and preached peace to you who are far off, and peace to those who are near. For through him we both have access in one spirit to the Father. So then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and the members of the household of God. Ultimately, this passage is trying to show the Jews how, because of Jesus, Gentiles are like, they're in, they're in. But this passage is impossible without the resurrection of Jesus and and accepting, accepting everyone who puts their hope in Jesus. Before before Jesus came, it was just the Jews that were the the, the chosen ones of God. Just the Jews in a special relationship with God. They thought they were the the cat's meow. They were it and and reminded here in Ephesians that yeah, that was the case, but now because of Jesus, the game's changed. This is the gospel power for our lives. This is the the power of Easter in our lives. Here's three realities of my new life in Jesus. As Jesus brings me acceptance with God, the first one is this, I was far from God and Jesus brings me near. I was far from God and Jesus brings me near. By Easter. Two times it's stated in this text. Meaning it's important to listen up. I often say things twice with my kids. They think I'm getting old. And, Dad, you already told me that. I know. Because you need to hear it again. Because if you miss this, you miss an important truth. That's what, that's what God is doing for us when he writes in his word. The same thing in, in a couple of verses back to back. I was far from God, but Jesus brought me near. How do we get near God? It's not through our good works. It's not through our family name or the church that we've tried to support or given to charities. How do we get near God? Through Christ's death, burial, and resurrection. It's through Easter that we were, Sesame Street terms, far near. Got to laugh somewhere in here, right? I have a two-year-old now. It's through the cross. It's through the resurrection that we were, who are were far off can now become near. Look what it says we were. Look how far we were before Jesus came to rescue us from our farness away from God. Verse 12, it's just five things in here how it shows how we were cut off from God as Gentiles before Jesus came at Easter and did what he did at Easter. Remember, it says that at that time, you were separated from Christ. There's number one. Without Jesus, I'm separated from Christ. It says in John 14, 6, Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father but by... So be separated from Christ means we're separated from God. Well, I follow this God or I follow that God. It doesn't matter. Separated from Jesus, separated from God. There's one way. Number two, this is us before Jesus accomplished all he accomplished with the, his death and resurrection. I was alienated from the commonwealth of Israel. I was alienated from God's kingdom. In other words, I was on the outside looking in. You ever seen some of those newscasts of the refugee children and they're just like up against the fence, just looking at the kingdom they wish they could be a part of and and longing for a place to call home where they're safe and secure? That's what we were. We were in the refugee camp controlled by the enemy looking at the kingdom of God going, oh, I wish I could just live there. Because it's in God's kingdom where the king of all kings gives a special blessing, protection and love for his people in his special guiding care. Number three is this, I was stranger, a stranger to the covenants of the promise. Bible's packed of promises from a faithful and true God that he is obligated to keep for those who are his very own. Before Jesus, we could read the scriptures and like, that, that's a great promise, but it's not for me. Before Jesus, we, we watch God bless everybody else's life through his promises, but not mine. 1 Corinthians one twenty that tells us that all of God's promises are only yes in Jesus. That's number three. Here's number four. There is no hope in this life or the next. Everything's chance. Everything's a we'll see instead of a I know. so unsure of what comes next in this life or the next, not aware of even in line with God's purposes and God's plan and God's destiny. All we have to look forward to, honestly, outside of Christ, before Jesus came, was was judgment and hell. Which brings us to the fifth one here, without God. Having no hope and without God in this world. Some maybe even here would think this is a good thing. No God. woohoo! Actually, no, no God is the, the worst thing that could ever happen to a life. This is the worst possible reality for any soul. No God equals no relationship with the one that we we're created to have a relationship with. No God means no overarching power, no guidance, no fullness of life. Empty, void, every road leads to a dead end. And ultimately, you choose in this life to be without God. He gives you what you choose for the next life. Eternity without God. Look at verse 13. It's two real encouraging, comforting words. But now, in Christ Jesus, but now, because of Easter weekend, the first one, 2000 years ago, because of the first Easter weekend, now, get this, all of you who were once far off have been brought near by the blood of Jesus Christ and by the power of his resurrection. Everything changed at the resurrection of Jesus. Everything changed. I have a... I once was far off, now I'm near. It's not talking about a geographical nearness as people you know, like run to Israel trying to be near God. That's not what it's talking about. It's talking about a spiritual intimacy and union with God. We're no longer strangers because of Easter. We can recognize the face of God and have a relational closeness to God and, and no longer be on the outside looking in. When moment we accept Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior, here's what happens. We're included in God's kingdom. You're issued a new passport. Yours might still say Canadian, but for Christians, the citizenship, citizenship is heaven. And this is the best part about heaven. It's the most secure kingdom on the planet. Presided over not by a wingnut like we see in today's culture. Not an arrogant leader or a flippant leader or a corrupt leader. It's governed by the, the perfect and pure, holy leader himself, God Almighty. The promises for God after we accept Jesus after each of the promises are now available for us. The covenant relationship that God establishes with his people uh, is ours in Jesus Christ. This is a game changer. Read the Bible and you will find promises that can now be applied to your life. All of a sudden, the hard times don't seem quite so hard because God promises he's going to give us the strength to overcome. All of a sudden, the uncertainty seems a little more certain because God promises that for his children, everything's going to work out for good for those that please him. Ultimately, even death. We get to death, and there's a promise for death too. The, the, it's not a scary thing for believers anymore, right? It's, we we kind of smirk. We're like, well, why are you afraid to die? I'm going to a better place. I'm going on the eternal vacation because God promises me he was the first fruit of the resurrected, and everyone who puts their faith in him will also follow suit. All the blessing and favor of the promises of God are now ours only through Jesus Christ. Hope springs eternal. The words plan and purpose and destiny can now all be part of our vocabulary in a real way. We use them, but we misapply them because there is no plan and purpose and destiny apart from God and the God that created you. We can even be optimistic in the hard times because God is with us and he promises to never leave us or abandon us. We have hope through Jesus Christ. We have ultimately the, the, the promise that we will be with God forever. And this is what your heart really longs for. This is what you really hope for. We try and mask it by trying to find all, fill it with our hope with all these things here on this earth. We Latest, greatest gadget. The, we try and fill all this, this void with things from here and it doesn't work. Also, what you long for to fill your void is God himself. Through the cross and the resurrection, I was far off from God and Jesus brings me here. This passage is only here in this Bible because of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Here's the second thing quickly. The second truth, the second reality of my new life in Christ. I was at war with God and Jesus brings me peace. I was at war with God and Jesus brings me peace. Before Easter, there's this animosity between you and God. God can't handle your sin. You don't want God. There's this constant battle, constant struggle. Some of you feel it right now. Some of you felt it in your life. You know that God wants you to surrender to him, but you're just fighting it. You're fighting it. Well, through Jesus Christ, that fight can stop. The war is over. Jesus' death and resurrection are the peace treaty that God has signed and all he's waiting for now is your signature to stop the fight within you. Jesus satisfies God's anger against your sin and now you just need to settle your rebelliousness against him by turning to Jesus in faith. Reconciliation with God is possible through Jesus Christ. He is the peace treaty. He is our peace Again, this is good news for some of you today that I pray that you'll hear and listen to. You know there's been a battle going on between you and God for a long time, even though you might even be in church some Sunday mornings. Because of Jesus, get this, the running can stop. The wanting my own way can be over. It's not satisfying anyways. Living for myself can be finished. It's it's completely empty. I can see the love of God through Jesus Christ and realize that I don't need to be at war with him. He loves me and he doesn't want to limit me or harm me. He wants to bless me. The war can be over today, right now. Imagine the peace you could have in your heart if you stop fighting God on everything he's trying to do in your life. Bottom line is you either surrender to Satan or you're surrendered to Jesus. The empty tomb says that God wants you to surrender to Jesus. Not tomorrow, not in a week, today that you might know all the realities of what we're talking about in Ephesians chapter 2. Here's the last one here. It's equally powerful. Three realities of a new life in Jesus through Ephesians 2. I was a stranger to God, and Jesus brings me into his family. I was a stranger to God, and Jesus brings me into his family. It says this in verse 18. For through him we have both access in one spirit to the Father. How do we have access to God by his resurrection, by a living Jesus. In the ancient times, court officials gave access to the kings. It was never someone that could just walk into the king's presence. The court official had to give them access. In, in our, in our, in our um, situation, it's not, we don't have any rights and privileges apart from Jesus Christ, but the living Lord can bring us right into the presence of God have access to our heavenly Father. And we can come boldly to God, knowing because of Jesus we're going to be welcomed every single time. Not just for a short time, or given visitation rights, or we can have a little autograph fest. But we can instead be through in, adopted into G- God's family forever through Jesus Christ. This is the epitome of acceptance, of the acceptance of Jesus. To share the same table as God, to do life together, to always have a place to call home, to have an eternal patriarch to hold me together and build me up and watch over my life. To actually have a spiritual family of brothers and sisters and friends to do life with. People that were born not just with... We're not connected with blood. We're connected with the power of the Holy Spirit. Romans 8 tells us that because of Easter, because of Jesus... We can be adopted into God's family and now call God Father. Let's be honest. Our world is, you look around, there's, people crave acceptance and belonging everywhere you look. Most people spend their lives, all they spend their lives doing from the time they're born to the time they die is, is trying to find a place where they can be accepted and, be, and belong just for who they are. And so they join clubs and they find a spouse and spend their days trying to fit in. And if only this will happen. If only, you know what your heart's really longing for? It's longing for your eternal family that God designed you and destined and you to. And this morning, Jesus is saying, because of the power of the empty tomb, he's standing at the, the door of his house saying, come in, come in, come in. This is why you were created to be my son and my daughter forever. Being God's family where you can be, and I know you all want this, whether you admit it or not, even the biggest, toughest guy in here wants this, where you can be loved perfectly, secure eternally, blessed abundantly, and have a forever family to call your own, which even provides for you an inheritance like none other one in heaven. This is a true cry of every single heart, and guess what? It's only found in Jesus, and he made it possible through the first Easter weekend. Because of Jesus, you can be near to God, have peace with God, and be called into his family. Resurrection Sunday is the day that Jesus signed, sealed, and certified all the documents to make it so and give you the opportunity to be fully accepted by God himself. But we often think of Easter Sunday as about what God has done for us. There's also a reality of how we're going to respond to God. Because as much as Christ has done it all, he's done it all. He's taken our sin. He's taken the anger of God towards our sin. And he's, he's buried it at the cross. He's nailed it to the cross. He's risen that we can have a new life. Here's the deal. Here's the deal. We're not like the orphans overseas that get adopted into families where someone does all the paperwork, goes over and gets them. They have no choice in this matter. God's got all the paperwork ready. Signed, sealed, and Certified. But the final step for you to have all these abundant blessings of the resurrection is to to, to humble yourself and say, God, I want eternal life in Jesus Christ. I want to be found with God through my Savior. I want to repent of my sins and come to Jesus Christ. That's what it takes to truly celebrate Easter. You can go home and celebrate in a thousand different ways, but if you miss out on the fullness of what Jesus Christ has offered you, and across the empty tomb, you miss Easter. God is inviting you to not miss the Easter celebration this year and to, by faith, turn your life over to Him today. For those of you that have already got this and you understand in your heart all that this means, and all this has done is opened up your heart to see, wow, wow, the resurrection is a meaningful event. This is just one of the many implications of the resurrection. I just encourage you to go home and truly worship God. Here's the application for this worship God. This Easter, worship God. Don't just go home now and get into your day. Spend time worshiping and thanking God for all the blessings of being called from far to near, of of having the the, the war settled in your heart, of of being called into his family. Go home and worship him and love him and share with somebody the meaning of Easter. Get the Bible open and, and dig for the promises of God. Spend some time truly soaking in all that Christ has done for you through the cross and the empty tomb. Go home and party hardy. Because if, any, if there's ever anything to celebrate in this life, this is a day to celebrate. Pull out, all the, pull out all the stops, hold nothing back. Make your neighbors like, what's going on in there? We're celebrating Jesus is what's going on in here. Want to come? Go celebrate. We're so passive as Christians, aren't we? It's church, we got to be quiet. We can celebrate today. Because Jesus paid it all. Jesus paid it all and gave me acceptance with God at Easter. Let me pray. Father, thank you for helping us catch a greater glimpse of the fullness of the empty tomb. Oh God, we know you are alive. We know you are real. We know that you are uh, sitting on the throne right now, uh, governing the universe. Jesus at the right hand of the Father. Thank you, God, that you've given us a living, vital, breathing relationship with yourself. God, I pray today for those here that don't fully understand the meaning of the resurrection yet. Oh God, where where there is unbelief, God, would you give faith? Would you open eyes to see that this is for them, not for somebody else, but for them, that they can live the life that you truly designed them to live in Jesus Christ. For those, God, that are here that have maybe wandered from the fullness of the meaning of being connected with Christ in relationship. Oh, God, I pray today that you'd help, you'd compel them, Lord. You'd compel them to not want to walk out of here before first coming and and getting things square with you, God, so they could have a living, vital relationship with you again. Not on the outside looking in, but right in, Lord, the presence of God. God, for those that are here, that are living in you and loving you, and and already celebrating Easter to the best of their ability, the best way they know how, worshiping you, God. I pray that you just use this to stir them up, to fire them up, to spend their lives, Lord, just in humble adoration of their God and King. Help us all, Lord to have hearts filled with joy and love for Jesus because of Easter. In Jesus' name, amen.